the term bucket list has made its way into the common vocabulary of many Americans. The basic idea is that some people like to make a list or lists of things that they would like to do before they die. That is, before they kick the bucket, as it were. Now, usually the lists are about adventurous things, like climbing Mount Everest or swimming with the dolphins in Australia or going on an African safari. Sometimes the lists are more about fantasy-type things, things that a person might like to do but probably won't happen, like win the lottery or become a pro athlete or visit Mars or finish a sermon in less than 30 minutes, crazy stuff like that. But for other people, a bucket list serves more like a summary of your life's goals, whatever those may be, where you can then just check them off the list one by one, graduate from college, get married, raise a family, retire at 60, buy a vacation home, those types of things. But depending on the person, the lists can be very, very long, or they could be relatively short. In today's passage, we meet a man named Simeon who only had one thing on his bucket list. See the Lord's Christ with my very own eyes before I die. Today's passage is Luke 2, verses 21 through 40. Hear then the word of our glorious God. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, that is, Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Lord, would you lead us by your spirit now in such a way that you would reveal the greatness of the glory of Jesus to us in this scene. Spirit, would you help us to marvel at Jesus here? And would you pierce our own hearts even so that we might come to a deeper understanding of the implications of what is actually happening here. So minister to us now through the word, we ask in the blessed name of Jesus, our beloved Lord, amen. Now, there are some fascinating details in this passage But the main idea that we see emerge over these verses is that Jesus was presented by his parents to God so he could represent his people before God. Jesus was presented by his parents to God so he could represent or represent his people before God. So we'll unfold the passage like this. In verses 21 through 24, we'll see that Jesus is presented to the Lord. In 25 through 35, we'll see that Jesus is identified as the Christ. And then when Anna comes on the scene, we'll see that the identity of Jesus is confirmed by a second witness in verses 36 through 38. And then finally, in the last two verses, Jesus is taken back home and he grows in strength and wisdom and the favor of God is upon him. Now, I worded each of these in such a way so that, so that right out of the gate, we would marvel at the fact that all of these massively important events are, are in some sense happening to Jesus. 
since at this point, he, he's a little baby, a tiny human baby. So even as he is the Lord of glory, he has to rely as a human on others at this moment. That's astounding to consider. Another way we might think about it is that these events are the fulfillment of the prophetic promises of God the Father. They're occurring through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is mentioned multiple times. And they're occurring in the lives of very ordinary people like you and like me. So let's rejoice together this morning right out of the gate that though Jesus is obviously the baby in the manger, what is happening in and around Jerusalem at this time is the redemptive work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we can have confidence that it will be accomplished. Let's begin with our first section. In these opening verses, we find out that Joseph and Mary come to the temple for two reasons, for Mary's purification and to present Jesus according to the law of Moses. Did you see how many times the law was mentioned as I read this passage? So they are at the temple for two reasons, purification and presentation. So in terms of purification... According to Leviticus 12, a woman was considered unclean for 40 days after she gave birth. After this time period, she was to bring a lamb to the priest for a burnt offering. But Mary and Joseph are so poor, they only have two turtle doves to offer which was allowable by law if the woman couldn't afford a lamb for the offering. Do you know, do you know what that means? The king of heaven, the son of God, he who is of infinite worth, he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He whose birth was announced by the angelic army, the host of heaven. He of, of, of galaxy forming power. He of unsearchable glory is born into base poverty into circumstances that are just utterly unremarkable. Jesus' family had to pay the price allotted for those who couldn't afford a lamb. The family of the Lamb of God could not afford a sacrificial lamb for Mary's purification offering to God 
in his holy temple. As Dale Ralph Davis has commented, there are no shortcuts in the shaping of our Redeemer. Now, in terms of presentation, purification, presentation. In terms of presentation, again, Mary and Joseph are fulfilling the law. That's why they're at the temple. In Exodus 13 and verse 2, God said, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. So in verse 22, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. So again, let's pause to ponder. The Lord Jesus Christ was brought to the temple so he could be presented to the Lord. Jesus, who is God, was set apart for the purposes of God in obedience to God to be presented to God. At the very least, we realize obedience to God is a really big deal. Jesus is the second member of the Holy Trinity. He's the very Son of God. The radiance of the glory of God. He who is the exact representation of God. The one who came to earth as a walking tabernacle of God is being offered to God in the temple. This being, this baby, the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. The only God-man who has ever lived was presented by his parents to be dedicated to God in accordance with the law of God. So what if you're reading this Bible passage with a friend this week who's an unbeliever? And what if your friend says, I thought you told me Jesus was God. So why in the world would Jesus be presented by his parents to God if he is God? Now, if you find yourself in that situation, first of all, that's uncanny timing. <laughs> Second of all, great job reading the Bible with your unbelieving friend. But third, as you think about that, if you th as you think about what a perceptive question that is, recall the main idea of our text. Jesus was presented by his parents to God so he could represent his people before God. So Jesus is being presented not for his benefit, but for ours. Paul put it this way in Galatians 4. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, 
That's this time. Luke 1 and 2. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Here's the key phrase. Born under the law. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So, to explain to your friend why Jesus' parents presented him to God in accordance with God's law, let's, let's just briefly work backwards. In order for Jesus to truly redeem us from the law, he first had to be able to truly represent us, right? So we know that he came as a human to earth, but as it relates to the law, In order to truly represent us, he had to be born under the law, which means Jesus had to live under the standards and obligations of the law so that he could obey or fulfill the law on our behalf. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the law so that he could redeem us from the law. Having done so, having done so, Perfectly, he became qualified as it relates to the law to represent us as a keeper of the law, even as he served as our substitute before God on the cross for law breakers. Right? This great exchange is better known as the good news of the gospel. Is there anybody in this room? who is grateful that we got to exchange righteousness records with Jesus. <laughs> I hope so. Because without it, you'd still be dead in your sins. Praise God for Jesus. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Utterly. Amazing. So then, the first step in the fulfillment of the law on our behalf was when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus as a firstborn son to the temple on the eighth day to be dedicated to the Lord in obedience to God's law. Exodus 13 and verse 2. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon was a man who was longing for the <clears throat> consolation of Israel. In other words, for Israel to be consoled or comforted, comforted or to experience relief because Israel had been oppressed for centuries. I mean, just, just most recently, the people of God had been exiled by the Babylonians 
They'd been ruled by the Persians in the time of Esther and Daniel. And then in the intertestamental period, that is between when Malachi was written and when the Gospel of Matthew was written, in that period, they were subjugated by the Syrians. And now, in the New Testament, they are under the iron rule of the Roman Empire. So longing for comfort, longing for relief, longing for deliverance is totally understandable. Like if you've ever suffered under the burden of oppression for an extended period of time, you've experienced the, just the bitter taste of hopelessness that comes with heavy-handed rule. This is where we find Simeon longing, waiting, hoping. And then one day, the Holy Spirit says to him, the wait is finally over. He, he prompts him to go to the temple and the spirit tells him to go. You can, you can almost sense the relief as, as Simeon enters the temple, as Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus, and he picks up the baby and declares, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Brothers and sisters, this salvation is actually a person named Jesus. Jesus who shall and has saved his people from their sins. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must, we must be saved. Acts 4 and verse 12. So rejoice. Even in your spirits, rejoice now that God sent his son to earth to save us. He sent his son knowing full well what it would cost him to save men and women from the curse of death. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4. Further, rejoice because salvation was prepared in the presence of all peoples. In other words, what happened with Jesus here and throughout his ministry was not done in secret. These things were not done in a corner, Paul told King Agrippa in Acts 26. God's salvation has been prepared in the presence of all peoples, and it is a salvation for all peoples. This salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 32. This salvation, this light for revelation is a person, namely the servant of the Lord, the Savior, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. Isaiah 49. The Lord speaks to this servant prophetically through Isaiah and says, it is too light a thing 
that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. If you're a skeptic of Christianity or if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, think about what is being said here. I don't know what your perception of Jesus is, but he's not some obscure history figure that meant a lot to a very small group of people called Israelites. This verse makes clear that if you have any hope of standing before God, you need to turn to this man. For he is the savior, not just of Israel. He's the savior of the whole world. And he is your only hope, your only hope to stand before God in joy and righteousness and freedom. Because you only have two options. Either you stand before the holiest being in all reality, dressed in the righteousness of your own works. Every last one of them. Or you stand before the holiest being in all reality dressed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. So I am pleading with you. I am pleading with you before it is too late. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask him to save your soul so that you might stand before God forever in freedom and in joy. God has made clear. God has made clear that this man, this savior is not just the savior of Israel, but the Savior of all men and all women, including you. Like as a Gentile convert myself, someone who's been grafted into the people of God, I am so thankful that nothing short of global evangelism, nothing short of the Great Commission would satisfy the Lord our God. I'm grateful that the gospel made it over the ocean to this land so that I could be saved from my sins. John Gilbert shared an interesting thought as it relates to this particular passage with Art and with me yesterday. He was noticing the longing and the anticipation and the joy that Simeon had waiting for the first coming of Jesus Christ to earth. And when Jesus came, it, to use Mitchell's phrase from last week, there's kind of an explosion of joy for him as he starts proclaiming the good news about who Jesus is. And John was asking us, do we, as believers in Jesus, with everything that we know, do we long, do we have the same kind of hope and anticipation as Simeon did for Jesus' first coming, for the second coming of Jesus. And, and I pray that we do. I pray, I pray that we do. If you don't, add that to your bucket list. Just make a quick note. Add that to the bucket list later. Grow in anticipation and joy led by the Spirit for the coming of Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, he has come and he is coming again.
Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And that undoubtedly is the cross, as we shall see in coming weeks. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So if you think back all the way to the beginning of Luke's gospel, in the midst of all of this explosive joy, an ominous note is struck about this child for the first time. Simeon and Israel had been waiting so long for a savior. And now, and now this great deliverer has arrived. But so far, he appears to be an unlikely, if not unexpected, king. Simeon says that he is appointed for the rise and the fall of many, and a sword will pierce Mary's heart also. In other words, Simeon's joyful song suddenly goes off key. And it causes us to wonder, what is he talking about? What will the nature of the ministry, the deliverance offered by this king, this deliverer, actually look like? Will there be personal pain for Mary involved? What about for us? as we are saved and sanctified. I mean, have you seen this play out in your own life? Has Jesus worked in such an unexpected way, perhaps, in your life? Let's even say it stronger than that. Has Jesus worked in maybe in such an unwanted way in your life? that you sometimes wonder, is this the way it has to be, Lord? Sometimes, and I say this tenderly, but I mean it with full sincerity, sometimes our expectations of what we think Jesus should do in our lives causes us to miss the work that he is actually doing in our lives. The religious leaders who would most forcefully oppose Jesus were so convinced that their understanding, their expectation of the Messiah was right. They were utterly convinced that they were right about who this Messiah would be and the type of deliverance that he would offer. They were so convinced of this, they couldn't see. They couldn't see the actual miraculous work that 
God was unfolding before their very eyes. Can you imagine watching Jesus in person do miracles and teach and come to the conclusion, this is demonic. May we be so saturated with the word of God. May we openly participate in the community of God. May we be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we won't miss the actual work that God wants to do in us and the actual work that God wants to do through us as the people of God. That would be tragic if we missed it. In the coming days, for the people of God, it may become increasingly apparent that verses 34 and 35... are 100% still true. Jesus is still the litmus test. He is still the one who has been appointed for the rise and the fall of many. Jesus is still the one who reveals the human heart. Jesus heals. Jesus saves. Jesus redeems. Jesus unites. Jesus covers. And Jesus loves. 100% true. And it is 100% true that Jesus divides. That Jesus angers. That Jesus in, incites opposition. And that Jesus exposes the true state of the human heart. So may Jesus be glorified among his people forever. And may the Holy Spirit help Help us as the people of God to never ever be ashamed of Jesus. To never ever be ashamed of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. No matter how vehemently people oppose us or oppose him for the gospel. And the gospel alone is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The person who is opposing you most vehemently probably needs the gospel more than anyone else in your life. So trust God, be led by the Spirit, and continue to share the good news. And there was a prophetess, Anna, verse 36, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. That's all kind of confusing. Uh, it's confusing in English. It's confusing in Greek. Basically, they're saying she's really old. <laughs> 
and she had been married, but her husband died. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So note the similarity of the account of Anna with Simeon. If Simeon experienced kind of an explosiveness of joy, Anna kind of experiences an explosiveness of thankfulness. And she does the same thing. Immediately she starts proclaiming the good news about Jesus. You can almost... You can almost picture her, can't you? The key word here, I think, in verse 38 is all. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's almost like this this little old lady was going up and going, have you heard? The Lord has suddenly come to his temple. That baby is the savior of the world. He's the redeemer that we've been longing for. He's here. God's promises are true, fulfilled in this little one. And whether they wanted to hear it or not, she was telling everyone about him. In other words, we might think about it this way. God suddenly came to his temple as a little baby. And so God provides not just one, but two prophetic witnesses to the true identity of this child. Deuteronomy 19, 15. In other words, God's salvation had really, truly come in the person of a little boy born in Bethlehem for those who had eyes to see it to see what was really true in reality. And I love the detail that Luke gives us about Anna. She was advanced in years. She was a widow. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And she had been doing this, according to the text, for decades. For decades, she had never left. Night and day praying and fasting and worshiping at the temple of God. In other words, she was devoted to the Lord. The language is very similar with respect to Simeon. And I love that God chose these two witnesses to testify about the true reality of this little child. They were the two who had spiritual eyes to see the reality of who he was. They were the two that had the privilege and honor of identifying this child. And we're still talking about them. In fact, we know their names, Simeon and Anna, and we're talking about them 2,000 years later. That's just amazing. So, For those of you, dear saints, who are, well, let's just use the language of the passage, advanced in years, I want you to look at the ministry of Simeon, and I want you to look at the ministry of Anna, and I want you to take heart, 
Because what it reveals is that your life and your ministry and your devotion to God matters. Not only does it matter to God, it's crucial to the church. Simeon and Anna are the two who recognize Jesus. Those who were gathered first learned about Jesus from these two seasoned saints. So, dear brothers and sisters who are advancing in years, let me exhort you. Maintain your devotion to God. Grow in your love for God. Continue to keep praying. Look, whatever it is that you can't do anymore because of your age, that does not include praying. You can lay in a bed and not move and pray. You can intercede for the saints. You can ask the Lord of glory to save sinners. Look, even if your mind is fading, pray with the clarity that you have. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you, interpreting your prayers before the Father 100% of the time. And Jesus Christ himself ever lives to intercede for us. So pray with confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. Grab, grab your sword of the Spirit. Seek the presence of of the Holy Spirit and go to war on behalf of the people of God. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for those who don't know the Lord. Pray for the saints of River Oaks. Pray for the unbelievers. People are dying. People will die today in Blount County who don't know the Lord. Pray that God will save people to the ends of the earth. In every way, seek to run your race until you cross the finish line. I've told the guys on staff before, I hope when I breathe my last, the sword of the Spirit will be in my hands. They'll have to pry my fingers off of him, which is okay. Because I won't need it anymore. Because I will be in the presence of the word made flesh. So if you are interceding for the church. If you are continuing to point people to Jesus. Whatever your context. Know that every second of your life matters to the very end. Just ask Simeon. Just ask Anna. Last two verses. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So these words, they summarize a time in Jesus life that we really don't know much about, but it's still instructive for us. Think about this with me. There is a sense in which Jesus saved us in part by simply living a totally normal life. 
just without sin. The majority of Jesus' life was lived in backwoods, nowhereville, Nazareth of Galilee. Like maybe a couple hundred people at the most. Verse 39, they didn't go back there until they had performed everything according to the law. All right, I think that's, I think that's crucial. But it's fascinating to consider Jesus' public life in the temple and in Jerusalem. Primarily lived in the last three years of his life, although he made it to the temple on multiple occasions, as we'll see even next week, right? He lived part of his life in public, but the vast majority of his life was lived in private, away from most of civilization in Nazareth, away from everyone else's view except for his father in heaven, The private part of the righteous life of Jesus included very normal activities day after day, year after year, as a child and as a young adult. This is part of the way that he represented our very ordinary and very normal lives, just without sin. But it's a great reminder that our righteousness, our personal righteousness, matters every second of every minute of every day of our life, both in public, including public platforms on social media, and in private, where no one else can see what's happening except God. Every single moment of our life matters before God. Jesus was presented by his parents to God so he could represent his people before God in Jerusalem at the temple where the people of God gathered. In other words, in public. And Jesus was taken back to Nazareth by his parents so he could represent his people before God. Whether or not we know much of anything with respect to what he was doing specifically. The one thing we know he was not doing was sinning. The reason that we know that is because even in his normal activities, as he helped Joseph around the carpenter shop, as he gathered water, as he played with other kids, whatever it was that he was doing, the reason we know he never sinned is because if he had sinned, even once back home, even if no one else had ever seen it, you and I would still be dead in our sins. We would still be stuck under the weight of the law. We would still be totally enslaved by the curse of the fall. But praise God that even though we have violated the law of God in public and in private, Jesus never did. And we have, if your faith is in Jesus, we have exchanged records of righteousness with him. And our debts were nailed to that blessed tree forever and then 
God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that the transaction had been approved once for all time and once for all sin. Even as Jesus grew in wisdom and strength and as he enjoyed the favor of God in his life, presumably he lived very simply, loving the Lord his God away from the limelight with all of his growing strength and with all of his mind and with all of his soul for the glory and honor of God his Father. Jesus is the most famous person who has ever lived, and yet he lived the vast majority of his righteous life outside the public view. He's just amazing. Jesus is just amazing, humble, and perfect, sometimes in public and sometimes in private, always righteous. So maybe there's one thing Jesus was doing back in Nazareth when he was younger. Maybe he was making a bucket list. My guess is that it was probably about the same length as Simeon's. Just, just one item on it. And if Jesus is one of those people who likes to make a list and then when the task get completed, he puts a check mark next to the box to show that that is done. Maybe when he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the father, he reached in his pocket and pulled out his crumpled bucket list and unfolded it. And he read bucket list save my people from their sins. And he probably wrote a big, thick check mark next to it. Bucket list complete for the glory and honor of God. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for working in such a way by your spirit to help us to, as we've been walking through Luke's gospel, to increasingly see the greatness of the glory of Jesus. Just from week to week, we marvel. We marvel at him. He's, there's just no one like him. Thank you for sending him to earth to save us from our sins. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for his willing submission to your law so that he could represent us. He, the perfect law keeper, could substitute his life for lawbreakers. Just, we are in awe of him. So would you cause that awe to spill out into worship? Would you cause there to be an explosiveness of joy like Simeon and thankfulness like Anna so that we might worship you for who you are, Father, Son, and Spirit, one glorious God, and for what you have done for us in Christ. And we ask this in his glorious name. Amen.